Well, hello everyone. If you don't know me by now, <laughs> my name is Gabrielle Critchlow. I am the owner and director of A Step Ahead Tutoring Services, and I welcome you to a brand new episode of Hot Topics. So this is a special episode because I am streaming this on YouTube Live and Facebook Live. So I'm giving it a, a trial run over there. And it is also special because we are gearing up for our homeschooling one-on-one virtual panel, which is coming up on December 16, 2021, which is tomorrow if you're here with us right now. And if you happen to be watching this on the replay, please go to our YouTube channel where the replay of the panel will be available. So I'm just gonna put up this little banner here. So if you are watching this right now, right this second, please go to the link that is scrolling below. There is still time for you to sign up to go and attend the virtual panel. So the link will take you to our Eventbrite link, which will provide you with the YouTube link as well. But again, if you are watching this on the replay, we welcome you anyway. Please go to our YouTube channel to catch the replay of the Homeschooling 101. So today, 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 we have a repeat topic. We spoke about this last time and we're bringing it in again. Um, so the topic today is how is homeschooling legal? That is a very important question. How is homeschooling legal? And I have a repeat guest who is going to have this discussion with me. His name is Darren Jones. And I look forward to telling you about him. So who is Darren Jones? Let me tell you who he is. <clears throat> so Darren Jones has worked at the Homeschool Legal Defense Association since 1996, first as a legal assistant and then as an attorney in various capacities. He spends his time at the office, 40% talking to members in legal difficulties, persuading them that it's not as bad as it could be and HSLDA has got their back. 40% advising homeschool group leaders about everything from crafting statements of faith, he prefers the Nicene Creed, to designing policies to protect children at co-ops, 10% writing legal briefs and wondering how in the world documents of 30 pages can possibly be called brief. 10% keeping HSLDA and its sister organizations in compliance with the charitable solicitation laws of way too many competing jurisdictions, and 100% advocating for the fundamental right of parents to direct the education of their children. Darren and his wife, Sarah, homeschool as a team and have graduated the oldest two of their four children. He enjoys board games, teaching Sunday school, and speaking at homeschool conferences around the country. So before I bring him on, I am just going to remind you that if you are here with me right this second, and if you have any questions as they come up, 
please put them in the chat and we will get to them as soon as possible. But we'll also answer as many of your questions as possible. So please put your questions in the chat as we go along the episode. Um, this is an interactive episode. So again, this is a very special episode of Hot Topics. This is an interactive episode. So I encourage you to interact, share your comments, share your questions, get your voice heard today. Now I will bring Darren Stage, uh, Darren Jones to the stage. Hi, Darren, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well, thank you. And yourself? Fabulous, thank you. Let me take your banner off there. All right, so there's a lot of legal questions about homeschooling. It's definitely a hot button topic, as you already know. So I am going to pass the baton over to you. And if you wouldn't mind explaining once again how it is that homeschooling is legal. Okay. Well, let me first start by saying that no matter which state you're living in, in the United States or any of the U.S. territories, it's legal to teach your kids at home. And the rules for that can vary widely. So, for example, up in the New England area, you've got a state that views you as a private school. Uh, that would be Maine. You've got a state like New Hampshire, where you file a notice of intent with somebody that might be a local school district. It might be a private school. You've got Vermont, for example, where you communicate with the state education department. And then you've got Connecticut, where you just go ahead and teach your kids. And there may be some questions that your school district has to ask you if they find out about it, uh, but you can just tell them what you're doing. And then you have New York. And New York, it's legal to homeschool, but there's a fair amount of paperwork associated with it. Its policy was developed in 1988 and really hasn't changed much since. And you can kind of tell it's old and creaky. That being said, there are a lot of people who homeschool in New York. And then if you look around the country, you've got Florida, which has got a couple different options for homeschoolers. And you've got California, where there are thousands and tens of thousands of homeschool families uh, all over the state. And then you look up to, say, Idaho and Montana, which even as sparsely populated as some of those northwestern states are, they've got lots and lots of homeschoolers. So wherever you are, it's legal. Now, as far as how to do it, there's a very handy website uh, we've put together that gives an actual map of what the homeschool laws are in various states. If you go to hslda.org legal, uh, we put a map there and it's even color coded so you can find out what the easier states are and what the states with more paperwork are. But the thing to remember is no matter where you are, it is legal to homeschool. Here in Virginia, where I live, my wife and I have been homeschooling our kids for oh, 14 or 15 years now. Um, we've never had any issues with our school district, although even in my case, as a homeschool lawyer, one time I sent them a notice of intent that didn't have all the information on it, and they sent back saying, Hem, we need more, 
and I sent it on to them. Uh, that was my mistake. Um, but it's a it's legal everywhere, and I talk with so many families all around the country who are getting into homeschooling. And so whether you live in Pennsylvania, where you have to actually file a notarized affidavit to homeschool, or if you live in Texas, where you just start homeschooling your children, it's legal everywhere. Thank you so much for that. And I just want to interject, you, you mentioned the color-coded map on your homepage. So I'm just going to show that briefly, if that's okay. Yes, hslda.org slash legal. Okay, uh, let me figure out the technique. Okay, so give me one second, guys. I just want to uh, share this page because I thought it was fascinating. Okay, right. So as he mentioned, if you go to hslda.org, this is their homepage. And if you go to legal and you hover over to state homeschool laws, there is this fascinating picture of the United States and it is color coded by um, regular, the house of the, how do I explain it? The how, house, I don't wanna say serious, but how strict the regulations are. Yes, that, that's a good way to put it. Another way might be how much paperwork you have to do. For example, in the green states, you're not required to give notice to the school district that you're homeschooling, but you still better homeschool. Um, when you use the word strict, that's not necessarily the, the best word because for example, Missouri, I mean, the law is very easy. But if you aren't teaching your kids, uh, Missouri is quite strict about tracking you down and making sure that you're actually doing what you're supposed to be. Um, whereas, say, uh, Massachusetts, even though it's technically an approval state, which is why we've got it in red, that it is a high regulation one, um, a lot of areas, it can be very easy to homeschool. For example, my family lived in Massachusetts for a year or two, and the superintendent was very friendly to homeschooling and had a very simple policy. At the beginning of the year, you sent the school board a photocopy of the table of contents for each of your books. And that was it. You didn't have to explain how you're going to use the books or if there was going to be testing or what your schoolroom was. It was just, here's a photocopied list. It, it took us literally about 10 minutes a year to send in the information. And then uh, we would go ahead and use those books. Um, so yes, th this map can be very helpful, but that's why we've tried to code it in, you know, the light blue ones, there's not a lot of paperwork there. Uh, but depending on, you know, which school district you're in, for example, in California, might be really easy, might be a little less friendly to homeschooling. And I thought it was interesting too, looking at this map, that there's this little pocket <laughs> of the country <laughs> that is just bright red. Um, I don't know if you could shine some light on that. So the interesting thing about the United States, as you know, is that a lot of things run on 
the states rather than the national government, because we're a federal republic of states rather than one single national government that runs everything. And that is especially the case in education. So states set their own rules and their own laws for education. And some of the states have very interesting histories of how home education has worked there. So for example, in New Jersey, even though I hear from a lot of people in New Jersey that the state tends to be in many ways a fairly high regulation and centralized state, when it comes to education law, ever since the 1960s, New Jersey has taken a very hands-off policy for parents who want to explore alternative education options for their kids. And so in New Jersey, you can't just ignore educating your child. You actually have to give them an education that's basically equivalent to what the public schools give. But what that looks like can vary family to family because New Jersey in that particular area has decided for the last you know, 60 years or whatever that it wants to give families freedom to explore what works for their kids. Um, in some of the, let's take some of the blue states, for example, Minnesota and Washington, uh, both of them tend to be actually very friendly to homeschooling, but there's some paperwork that you have to fill out in order to do it. And some of that is because in Minnesota and Washington, uh, there are certain benefits that the state allows homeschoolers to apply for, whether it's through the public school system, like uh, uh, if you want to take band or some class or participate in public school sports, even uh, some that's allowed, like in Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota also has a tax credit that if you are paying your state income taxes and you've spent a certain amount on homeschool expenses, you can deduct that from your state taxes. Uh, I think Minnesota might be about the only state where that's the case. But again, it's based on the history of the state. In Texas, back in the 1980s, the Texas Department of Education actually tried to outlaw homeschooling by saying, Sure, there are these little one-family private schools that are setting themselves up, but that's not legal. That's not a private school. And that one went all the way to the Texas Supreme Court, and it was decided all the way along that, yes, absolutely, one family can be a private school. And as long as you teach these certain basic subjects, including a course in good citizenship, so that's one of the ones you have to teach in Texas, then you can have a public, a private school that has 100 families, or you can have a private school that has one family. So a lot of it's based on history. I mentioned New York's was developed in 1988. Uh, before then, it had been uh, kind of questionably legal. It was often based on what your state school, on what your local school district said about it. Um, there were some people who were trying to say, well, I don't have to do anything. And finally, there were regulations adopted in 1988 that said, okay, you can homeschool if you do this paperwork here, and then it's stuck there. Whereas most states that adopted homeschool laws in the 1980s have updated them because they realized that homeschooling works really well. And one of the benefits of it is being really flexible and not having to do a lot of paperwork. And unfortunately, New York does not seem to have received a memo on that. So... It, it's it's different state to state.
Absolutely, absolutely. So I just thought that map was fascinating. Mm, excuse me. All right, I'm going to stop sharing. All right, well, let's get back to it. <clears throat> All right, so let's um, jump in with the questions. And again, if you guys have any questions, feel free to put them in the chat. So I guess I will begin. So my the thing I was thinking about... Um, I'm wondering, how do you explain um, homeschooling in terms of um, like health insurance or uh, or food stamps or, or um, Medicaid? Um, so how do you explain um, homeschooling in terms of uh, when you're seeking government assistance, for example? Um, so how how does that how does that work? Okay, so um, the short answer, and then I'll go on to explain, is basically it works pretty much like any other school. So, uh, but there can be some issues with that. So, for example, um, let's take uh, social security benefits. Um, certain social security benefits end at age eighteen except if the child is still enrolled in school. Well, Social Security back in the early 2000s was just saying, if you homeschool, you turn 18, that's it, you're done. Uh, but we actually got them to change their policy. And now in every single state, the policy is if you are legally homeschooling, then you can continue receiving these Social Security benefits, even once your child has turned 18, until either they graduate or they turn 19 in two months, I believe it is. I've worked actually with a number of families out in California uh, with their CalWORKs program and receiving state aid there. Uh, again, the issue is once kids get of a certain age, they need to be enrolled in school so that you can continue receiving certain benefits. And in California, it's actually rather useful because you can either enroll in a private school that then lets you teach your kids at home. That's one way of homeschooling. Or you can set up your own private school in your home that maybe just has you know one or two students in it, or maybe you're teaching the neighbors and so it's got four students in it or something. But that is still a school under California law. And so in those cases, as long as you are teaching the normal subjects that say an 11th grader or a ninth grader would be getting in public school and you're keeping attendance records to show that the kid is actually attending school, then you can continue receiving those benefits. Uh, child support is similar. Uh, I've actually defended several families in court where uh, they have been receiving child support, for example, after a divorce or separation. And again, those benefits often end when the child turns 18, unless the child is in school. But in these cases, uh, the child is still in school. They're being homeschooled. And so we've been successful in getting the court to recognize that, yes, this is still a child in school. They still get benefits for the next three, five months or whatever after their 18th birthday until they graduate. Now, I did say that there were uh, sometimes issues on this, and it's usually not the issue of, well, if you're homeschooling, you can't get the state benefit. 
it's often in the states or the, the federal aid packages where, for example, you have to prove that you are either seeking a job or working a certain amount or taking classes so that you can go out and seek a job. Um, like, for example, the, the TANF, uh, temporary assistance. After a few years, um, it gets cut off unless you can prove you're working a certain amount or something. That is That often will affect the family's ability to homeschool. But one of the nice things nowadays is there's so much flexibility in, for example, when kids can take online classes or if maybe you can homeschool some days, but maybe every Monday they go to a homeschool co-op and get some classes there. So you might be able to do some working during that time period. That's a nice thing about modern homeschooling. It's even more flexible than the homeschooling back when I was being taught at home in the late 80s, early 90s. So hope that answers what you were asking. So now my question is, because you said you have to prove that you're legally homeschooling. So I guess it depends on the state. So, but how do you prove that you are legally homeschooling? Well, this is an interesting one. And uh, this is one where actually, if you're in one of those states that's labeled red or dark blue on the map, it's easier to prove that you're homeschooling. Uh, let me give an example from my home state. I am in Virginia. Uh, so at the beginning of each year, I send a notice of intent to the public school to say, I am homeschooling, here are my children, here's my address, here's a basic description of what we're doing uh, for each subject. And in my case, I get an email back from the superintendent's office that says, thank you for sending this in. And then I get an actual formal letter back that says something like, thank you for submitting your notice of intent. It appears that you have met the requirements of Virginia law, and we expect to get your evaluation at the end of the year. Please let us know if there's something we can do to help. And so if I ever had to prove that I'm homeschooling, um, I'm actually looking down at my desk drawer. I've got the letter right down there from the school district saying, yes, I submitted my paperwork for this year. So in my state, it's really quite easy. New York, it's very similar. You're supposed to get a letter back from the school district that says you've submitted everything. A lot of school districts kind of skip that step. So in that case, you would just tell whoever it is you're trying to prove it to, here's my notice of intent. Here's my individualized home instruction plan. For states like Oklahoma or Michigan, where the rule is basically just you teach your child at home, um, ways that you can prove that you're homeschooling are things like you might have a plan book where you can show them, here are my lesson plans. You might have an attendance record, a calendar showing these are the days that we did school. You might just write them a letter that says, I certify that I am teaching my children at home in the re uh, required subjects. And for Michigan, that's like five or seven basic subjects that you have to teach. So in those states, there's always a way to do it. And in fact, if you're trying to get certain kinds of uh, federal aid, for example, going to college, uh, they say that the parents are allowed to self-certify 
that the kids have graduated high school or that they've been homeschooled, which basically means we need a letter from the parents saying, yes, I homeschooled this child, they graduated. So there's always a way to prove it. The way you prove it is going to be different depending on the state. So now what about what about employment, for example, um, like on a resume? Um, like on my resume, um, I had to put the schools that I went to. So how does a homeschooler explain that on their resume? On the resume, it's fairly easy. You simply put homeschooled and then whatever your date of graduation was. Now, there have been some cases where if, for example, you're applying for a job with a big corporation and they have some sort of third party verification uh, who looks at your description of your education and they will often contact um, HSLDA because they kind of Google homeschooling and they find us and we have to tell them, no, what you need to do is you need to go talk with the parents because the parents are the ones who homeschooled the child. They are the ones who issued the diploma. And so um, we've had very limited cases where a homeschool graduate wasn't able to get whatever job that they wanted. There has been one exception in a few states. If you want to go into law enforcement of some kind, whether it's becoming a police officer, working for the sheriff, working for the county or state jail or prison, um, in those, there are a couple states, uh, I know Kentucky, we've had a problem with this, where you have to have graduated from an accredited school. And I don't know why it's only that small uh, sector, uh, but that's really about the only problem we've run into as far as kind of a, a sector that homeschoolers have, have really had a problem with. And again, it's only a couple states, and I, I don't know why, but it's one of those oddities. Hmm. Okay. So what about... Hmm. So what about what about a, a teenager, for example, who's homeschooled that wants to seek employment? So in public school, we have they have to get working papers. So how does that work if the teenager who wants to work, who's under 18, wants to find employment? All right, so I'm going to keep going back to this. It is different state to state. Um, there are some states where the parent is allowed to uh, actually issue a work permit as the administrator of the private school that that student is enrolled in. There are some where you have to talk with the local superintendent or school district in order to get some sort of work permit. Uh, there are others where the states don't require a work permit for a teen as long as they're, for example, 16 or 17. Uh, there are some states, and there's federal law as well, about what hours uh, the student is allowed to work. And that is one that you sometimes have to be careful about uh, because one of the benefits of homeschooling is the flexibility. So for example, in my family, uh, we tend to be kind of a family of night owls. Uh, not many early morning risers among us, which means often school is being done at three, four, five in the afternoon or after supper even, because uh, I do some of the schooling 
for our family. Uh, but a lot of uh, families have used that flexibility to, for example, have their kids work uh, at a location in the morning and then do their schoolwork in the evening. Um, federal law has has put up a roadblock on some of that that we've been fighting for a few years now for some of the younger teens because it's our position that when you are homeschooling the child, that's actually when their school hours are. And the federal government, being rather set in its ways, has made the determination that no, school hours means when the public school in your area is in session. Um, but uh, again, it's one of those things where, you know, homeschooling's legal everywhere and you're able to have your teen work in some capacity, but you're going to have to look into what your state says specifically about that. <clears throat> awesome. So can you talk about the military? How does uh, a, a person who was homeschooled get into the military? Because I would imagine it's the military. You know, I imagine it's pretty crazy. Well, used to be. Uh, thankfully, now it has gotten, I, I would say, actually routine. Um, part of that is because a lot of military families homeschool. I mean, if you think about it, uh, when you're being posted and deployed around the U.S., around the world, one of the ways that you can create some stability for your children is by homeschooling them. And so a lot of military families have done that. And so since military careers often tend to run kind of in families, you get a lot of homeschool graduates who then want to get into the military. Uh, back in the 90s, the, the military was not all that keen on getting homeschool graduates, but we were able to work with them. And now, like I say, it, it's actually a fairly routine thing. You do have to prove to the military that your child was in compliance with the homeschool law in your state. So again, you'll need to make sure you're doing it legally. And there's going to be some paperwork that you're going to have to give. And sometimes HSLDA has to actually reach out to the recruiter and explain, here's how you homeschool in this particular state. You can't ask for all this stuff that you're asking for because, for example, Oklahoma or Missouri doesn't require that information. And so if you're asking, well, what accredited curriculum were you using? The answer is that's not required by law. And so we often have to reach out to recruiters, but it's less now than it used to be because, again, the recruiters, um, some of them at this point, are probably homeschool graduates. Um, and so it's become a lot easier for homeschool graduates to get into the military. And we have them serving all over the world now. <clears throat> that is fabulous. All right. So, I mean, we'll touch on it tomorrow at the panel, but can you talk about um, getting into college? Um, so how does homeschooled children get, well, I guess if you could go into the documentation part of it, because for college, you need a college transcript, a diploma. So can you get into the documentation part about uh, applying for college? 
Well, I will mention that we have a lot of information on this on our website, hslda.org. In fact, we've got an entire section set up for that. But yes, you're absolutely right. There's documentation that you need for getting into college. Usually what you're going to need is, first of all, some proof of high school graduation. And you can issue a diploma as a homeschool parent. Depending on the state you're in, sometimes you'll be with some sort of uh, umbrella school or private school that has helped you through the homeschool process. So the diploma might be issued by them, uh, but usually it's it's by the parent. And so that's the first piece of paper you give them is a diploma showing that your child has actually completed high school. Now, some families have their children take a GED at the end of their homeschooling. Um, that's almost never required by colleges now, although every once in a while we still run into one who wants to see a GED for some strange reason. Uh, but the diploma, that's number one. Uh, number two, you're going to need a transcript of the courses that your child took in high school and showing what grade they made in those courses. Now, if you're the type of homeschooling family who has used a kind of uh, regular curriculum with textbooks and workbooks and assignments that have been done, uh, this transcript may be fairly easy to put together. If you've used an online program, some of those will actually grade the assignments and then they will give you the grades and generate the transcript right there. And then you sign it as yours and send it off. That would be another way. If, on the other hand, you tend to be a family who takes a more eclectic or unschooling or Charlotte Mason books-based approach, then you may need to uh, spend some time on this transcript to figure out, well, let's see, in 11th grade, we spent a lot of time uh, reading and analyzing Shakespeare plays. Um, I use that in this example because when my son was in 11th grade, he fell in love with Shakespeare plays, and we spent a lot of the year working on that. Uh, he still did his math, uh, but some of the history was based on some of the Shakespeare plays, and we'd kind of you know take that as a starting place and go from it. Uh, his writing assignments were based on that. We watched some films and analyzed them, so that's your art component. And so the transcript will reflect what the student did and what they learned and what you know, level of effort or achievement they got in that, uh, that'll be the grade. Uh, again, that's something that we've got information on for our website, but the college is definitely going to be looking for it. And then beyond that, um, it's kind of depends on what college you're looking at and what program you're going into. So for example, I know several homeschool families whose uh, part of their uh, college application that they sent in was a list of all the books that their child had read while they were in high school. Uh, that was a child who was looking at uh, either an English or a, a literature major. And it was pretty phenomenal to see all the books that child had read. And it makes a great impression on a college admission officer, not just the bare bones transcript and grades, but wow, this child has really put in some serious effort into reading and discussing great literature. This is something I encourage families to start looking at a couple years before their child graduates. Um, you know, what is it that the college is going to expect? And you'll usually find that right on their admissions page.
Awesome. Awesome. So you mentioned unschooling. Can you talk about the difference between homeschooling and unschooling or homeschooling and de-schooling? Can you discuss that? Certainly. Okay. So um, let me start with homeschooling. Um, when people say homeschooling, usually what they mean is some way that the parents are involved in directing and probably teaching at least some of the education of their children. It's not just outsourcing it totally to someone else. The parents are somehow involved. They might be doing all of the teaching. Uh, when my wife and I were homeschooling our elementary school kids, for example, uh, most of the time it was us teaching the kids. Once they get into high school, some of it gets outsourced. My daughter this year is taking a, a Algebra 2 class online and a biology class online. Besides doing choir and American Sign Language uh, with a homeschool group. And so we're teaching her some classes, but some she's getting outside. Um, so that's kind of homeschooling is, is very broad. There are a number of ways to do it. If you're interested, one of the uh, uh, blog posts on our HSLDA website that uh, people look at the most is one written by my wife on various kinds of homeschool philosophies. One of which is unschooling. And this is one that my family has not done. Uh, it takes a lot of uh, concerted, intentional effort by the parents to set up educational opportunities for their children, but then you let the children's interest lead into where it goes next. For example, unschoolers will often be the ones who are coming out of the public library with stacks of books so big you can't see the person carrying them because they want their kids to have a wide range of, look at all these books about various scientific stuff. What are you interested in? So, you know, for a couple hours a day, your child is assigned to look through the books and see something that's interest them. And then when you figure out what interests them, for example, clouds, all right, now we're gonna pursue clouds for a while and we'll talk about meteorology. And if you're gonna meet a meteorologist, you're gonna to have to have at least a certain level of math skills. And so we'll do some math to study that. And then we'll talk about the history of weather and how climate change is affecting not just our community, but the world. And now we'll move into geography to discover how it's affecting low-lying countries like Bangladesh. And you take a child's interest and then you move forward based on that. And why I say it takes intentional effort for the parents is unschooling is not just we wake up in the morning and we don't do any sort of schooling. You give your children lots of educational opportunities. You find out what the child's interests are, and then you help the child pursue that interest as far as they want to go. And then when you have explored that as far as you want to go, then you find another interest that the child has. Um, so when done, I don't want to say done right, but when done well, unschooling can lead to kids who love education and who have learned a lot about some subjects and some about a lot of subjects. 
Um, when done poorly, it leads to charges of educational neglect because the parents have not put that intentional effort into encouraging their kids learn, study, enjoy this creation. Uh, go study this. Have you thought about this? Let's bring in this person from the neighborhood who has this fascinating interest. Uh, so I, I know some unschoolers who have done it well and their kids are a joy to be around because they just love learning. So that's unschooling. You asked about de-schooling. That's not a philosophy of education or homeschooling. That's a term that is sometimes used for, let's say you have a child who is in public school and they have lost that love of learning and education for various reasons. Maybe it's health problems, maybe it's bullying, maybe it's the fact that their school has been doing online instruction and they just aren't excited about learning anymore. Sometimes when you withdraw them and you take them home to homeschool, the best thing you can do to restore that love of education is just take some time off of formal school. I know a lot will use this time just to read with their kids. I mean, that's, for me, that's one of the best ways I educate myself, even as an adult, is I read. So fine, we are not going to do a formal math sit-down textbook. Instead, let's take some time as a family to just cuddle up on the couch and read about Pythagoras, one of the great original mathematicians, or to take this science and instead of doing a science textbook and workbooks and experiments or science kits, what we're going to do instead is we're going to take walks and we're going to collect things and bring them home and look at them under the microscope. And we'll just take time to kind of back away from formal school and start loving education again. So that's what de-schooling often refers to. Ah. Okay. Awesome, awesome. So what else? Oh yes, there's something I wanted to ask you. As I was exploring um, the HSLDA website, I saw some interesting things as, as I was um, looking at the different states. Um, so, for example, I was looking at Pennsylvania, and they offer four options of homeschooling. And in the breakdown, they talk about there's the statute, there's the private tutor, there's the religious day school, and there's the boarding school. Can you go into uh, the differences among the four in terms of homeschooling? Okay, so Pennsylvania is one of the states, and there are a number that have several different ways to homeschool. And HSLDA likes this. I mean, we're all for providing parents with flexibility to figure out the best way for your kids. So let me just briefly use Pennsylvania as an example of there are many ways to homeschool. Find out what works best for you. Option one is the one that most homeschoolers in Pennsylvania use. And when someone says they're homeschooling, this is often the one that you just kind of assume that they're doing. This one uh, comes from a law that was first written in the late 1980s and has been adapted a couple times since then and basically requires you to notify your school superintendent at the beginning of the year that you are going to homeschool. And you give some very basic information and you say, yes, I'm going to teach the required subjects. I'm going to reteach either the required number of hours or days. And I agree that at the end of the year, 
I will have my child evaluated in some way and then I'll send you a letter saying the child has been evaluated and everything's fine. Um, so it's a beginning of the year and end of the year type thing. Option two uh, is an option that is used sometimes, and that is you can actually hire someone to teach your kids. Now, this person has to be a certified teacher. Um, I believe Pennsylvania requires that they only be doing it for one family. Uh, most states that have a private tutor law, that, that's a requirement. Uh, Pennsylvania requires that person be paid for it. You can't just have your neighbor homeschool your kid uh, and not pay them anything. It's, it's a paid arrangement. Uh, in this case, you do not need to send in a notice of intent at the beginning of the year or an assessment at the end of the year. Basically, Pennsylvania says, look, we have certified this person as a teacher. They are a teacher. They could go get a job in any Pennsylvania public school. Therefore, we will trust them to teach kids. And so if they're teaching kids in a family setting rather than in a school setting, that's legal. Um, so in that case, actually, we encourage families, um, don't say that you are homeschooling, you are having your kids taught by a private tutor. Because if you say you're homeschooling in front of the superintendent, the superintendent's going to say, well, I didn't get any paperwork from you. Uh, you're using a private tutor at that point. Options three and four are very close to each other. And this option actually uh, can be used in a number of states. Uh, Pennsylvania is one of them, where let's say that you have a private school that is set up. And like when I went to private school in middle school, we had 100 kids in it. Um, so let's say you've got a, a private school that's being run by a church, or maybe it's a, a boarding school that's accredited by the Pennsylvania Department of Education. In that case, that private school is allowed to to some extent, set its own rules about the kids who are enrolled in that school. And some of them say, you know what? We want to allow parents the flexibility to enroll in our school and get some of the benefits. Maybe you've got uh, access to teachers. Maybe you can take a class or two there. But a lot of the schooling is going to be done at home by the parent. And so the in this case, the religious day school or the accredited day school or boarding school says, you know what, this child is enrolled in our school, but they aren't here all the time. They're kind of in a satellite program. Again, the school that I was in, uh, in New Hampshire, um, after I left that one and we went on to homeschooling, that private school actually started a satellite program. And homeschoolers could enroll in the Christian school and they could come every Friday and take gym class and art class and music class and things like that, that the parents might want you know, their kids to participate in a group class. Um, and in Pennsylvania, that child is actually considered enrolled in that school. So that school is going to be the one, for example, issuing them the diploma and the transcript at the end of their high school. Um, for legal purposes, even though the child may be at home 80% of the time, 100% of the time, they're considered to be a private school student rather than a homeschool student. So that's the way that that works. And like I say, there are a number of states that give several options. And it really kind of depends on what you think is best for your family. 
And then there are some states where it will make a difference. For example, if you are homeschooling in some states, you might not be eligible for special education services at the public school. But if you are a private school student, you might be eligible for some. Down in Louisiana, there are certain scholarships that are available depending on whether you choose MIA private school or MIA home school. So this is one of those things where I encourage people, if you've got questions on which one's best for your family, join HSLDA and call up and talk with our lawyers because that's what we're here for. Fabulous. Thank you so much for that. So what was my other question? Um, hmm. All right, so in terms of, okay, I got it. <laughs> I was trying to think of it. So I know you. There are, a, there's a team of attorneys on your um, on your roster. So can you talk about what is the most, what is the the most common issue that you are litigating in your in your organization? I would say that's definitely local school districts who don't know the homeschool law and ask for more information than they're entitled to. Um, in some cases, it's just a minor thing where, you know, they look at your paperwork and it's often like a, a new secretary or it got relegated to a different department this year or something. And so they look at the paperwork and they think this isn't enough. And they get in touch with the family and the family contacts us. And we get in touch with the school and say, yes, this actually is enough. And you are not allowed to ask for that information. Um, sometimes it goes a little bit more than that, though. So, for example, here in Virginia, there was a school district back just a couple years ago that was denying uh, people's notice of intent to homeschool if the family did not supply a birth certificate for their kids. And Virginia law says nothing about when you're homeschooling, you have to submit a birth certificate. So in that case, we actually sued the school district. It went all the way up to the Virginia Supreme Court and we won that case on behalf of the family. And the Virginia Supreme Court said, look, it's not in the law that you're allowed to ask for birth certificates. If the child wants to go to public school, well, you can ask for other stuff then, but for homeschooling, that's not something you get to require. We've had a similar problem in Florida and in New York on that same issue of trying to require the birth certificate when it's simply not in the law. So I would say for probably every state, that's the main problem we have is public school districts who are asking for more information than they're actually entitled to, and we have to contact them and tell them to back off. Mm. So are you guys tough? Are they afraid of you? Or are you guys like, like easygoing? How, what, so when you, you show up to the courthouse, are you guys revered? Are you guys, are they the, are people like dismissive of you guys? Um, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> uh, it, 
that's one where it really depends on the circumstances. So there are times where, uh, yes, we are very easygoing and friendly, and we just send along a, hey, we didn't know if you knew this. And there are others where I've sent letters to districts basically saying, you are doing this. This is a violation of the family's constitutional rights. Stop it. We have sued school districts for stuff like this, and you better stop. Um, we have sued uh, government officials who have violated people's constitutional rights. Uh, we're actually engaged in one in Kentucky right now where the, in this case, it was a social worker and a sh uh, sheriff's deputy or police officer, I can't remember which one, um, who entered the house over the objection of the parents by threatening to remove the children. Uh, and we've sued and won in, in that case. Um, so yes, we can be tough. We can be easygoing. Um, there was one uh, magazine article a couple of years ago that was published that didn't like us, and the author called us small but fierce. And I actually thought that was a great description of our organization. I, I liked that. Uh, because yes, when it comes to defending homeschoolers' rights to teach their kids at home, we can get pretty fierce. And we've got a whole bunch of homeschool families who are very protective of their right to homeschool. And when we let them know of a threat to homeschool freedom in their site, uh, in their state, they tend to turn out in droves. Back a few years ago out in California, there was a proposal made that would require fire inspections, uh, annual fire inspections of every private school in California. Well, if you have a private school of, you know, 150 kids or something like that, you know, we could see that as maybe being reasonable to send out a fire inspector. But out in California, many, many of those private schools are one family private schools. And so what this basically was, was trying to get into homeschool homes Every single year, they'd be sending a state official there to do a, quote, fire inspection. And it was pretty blatantly obvious that wasn't going to be the only thing they were looking for. And so when a bill got put forward in the California legislature to uh, require something like this, um, homeschool families showed up and I sat through all the testimony um, and by testimony, I mean, everyone was allowed to come up to the mic, give their name. If they represented an organization, they could tell who the organization was. And then they were to say whether they supported or opposed this requirement that would bring registration for homeschool private schools. It took approximately four hours. The line stretched all the way through the Capitol several times out the doors. And people would come up and they'd stand in front of the mic and they'd give their name and their organization and then say, I oppose this. And they'd leave. And the next person. Um, during that entire four hours, there were, I believe, three people who testified that they were in favor of this registration of homeschool private schools. And the other four hours worth were homeschool families saying, no, don't touch. We like homeschooling our kids and we like doing it in freedom. And uh, when it came up for a vote, they couldn't even get someone to call for a vote. So the bill died. 
Wow. So that shows not only the power of your organization, but the power of homeschooling families. And when they come together and and they put their minds toward one thing, you know, things happen. One of the very fun things about being there that day was, I mean, you, you see me, you know, I've got crosses and icons behind me on the wall. You can tell I'm a religious person. Um, there were families there who were very religious. There were families there with tons of kids. There were families where dad was wearing a suit and mom was wearing a nice dress and the kids had all dressed up nicely. And there were families where there were two moms with tattoos and piercings and uh, several dads who were married to each other and kids who were coming out testifying, I am a teenager, I am in charge of my own education. Those were more the unschooler types. And how dare you try and do this homeschool registration? It, it was like this cross-section, you know, wide cross-section of everyone in California from right to left and everything in between. And they were all opposed to, are you trying really to control homeschooling? No, homeschooling is good and should be kept free. It was really a lot of fun. I imagine so. All right. So we are starting to wind down here. So do you have any final advice for the people watching about homeschooling and the laws or just any advice that you you wish to share? Well, first of all, I will say um, if you are thinking about homeschooling, give it a try. See how it works for you and your family. Um, it worked for me. I was homeschooled my last couple of years. And I got a great education those last couple of years. My wife and I have homeschooled our kids. We've graduated two out of four. They've had very good educational experiences. It's worked well for us as a family. I love who my kids have turned out to be. And a lot of that's due to homeschooling. Um, for those of you who think that you can't do it, I would say that there are a lot of people out there who can help you with your homeschool journey. Um, give it a try. You might be surprised at what you can do and what you can find out there. And lastly, since we are talking about how is homeschooling legal, remember that homeschooling is legal in every state. But there are laws that have to be followed. Sometimes it's as simple as you just need to make sure that you have all required courses that you're teaching. And sometimes there is some serious paperwork that you need to submit and you need to think about and file exactly what you need to. So make sure that you do it legally and then go ahead and homeschool. Ah, thank you so much for that. Um, so I just had one more uh general question so as you go through each grade i know there is a set um there's a set number of courses that i mean you have to take for each grade to identify that you've moved up in the grade so i'm just wondering how does it work in terms of if a child gets left back for example or they have to repeat a grade or skip a grade um how do those um nuances work in homeschooling that's one of the real nice things about homeschooling. You've got that flexibility. And uh, there's often not the same stigma of, well, my child didn't do all that great in this subject this year. Let's repeat that next year. 
Um, I've got a good friend of mine who they had to do that with their son. He just wasn't getting math in eighth grade, so they repeated eighth grade math. Everything else, though, he was ready to move on up. And that, by the way, is something you'll often find with homeschoolers when you ask their kids, what grade level are you in? A lot of them will not know because maybe they'll be doing fifth grade spelling and sixth grade math and seventh grade history and science. Who knows what grade level it's on because they're doing it with their third grade brother and their ninth grade sister. Uh, so there are certain states, for example, like Pennsylvania wants you to do certain classes in high school and a certain number of them. And of course, colleges are going to be looking to them, but especially in elementary school, um, a lot of it is just kind of, you know, by the time the child has completed sixth grade, you need to have covered these subjects and some of these topics so that as they move on to middle school, they have a good foundation that they can build on and then up into high school. So it will look different somewhat depending on the child and depending on the state. But in general, this is something that homeschool flexibility can really benefit you and your kids in. And how old does the child have to be to stop homeschooling? Like, what if in this really, really rare case, the child has to repeat a grade like three times or something like that? So can you, is it the same way as high school works in that you have to have completed high school by 21? I mean, or at least in New York, I can't say for other states, but you have to have completed high school by 21 years old or else you are officially a dropout. Uh, so how, I guess, how, how old can high school, um, how old can homeschooling go legally? That's one where I'd actually tell people they need to call and talk with us because that's going to be based on a number of factors. Uh, in general, we focus on what age does the child have to be when the state stops saying they have to be in school. But as far as how old they can school, um, I, I'd recommend they call and talk to us about that so we can figure out a good answer for them. That's fair. All right, thank you so much, Darren, for, uh, for joining me again and, and thank you for answering all my questions um so as we did last time you guys are a nonprofit, and this is usually the um point where i i'm sorry let me put up your banner before i even continue with that so before i get to my point <laughs> that i was trying to make before so you guys uh if you want to learn more about the hslta HSLDA, or if you want to talk to Darren, his contact information is scrolling below. Uh, the organization itself is on Facebook, and then you have Darren's personal Facebook there, as well as his phone number. And the website that he referenced a lot uh, throughout this episode, and even I uh, screen shared, is hslda.org. I strongly encourage you to check out that website to get your information. So Darren's information is scrolling below. So I encourage you to reach out to him if you have any further questions and reach out to the HSLDA if you have any uh, legal questions that you want to have answered. 
All right. So now I'm going to get to the point that I was trying to make before. So the HSLDA is a nonprofit. And normally this is the part of the show where I talk about my crowdfunding campaign. But as you guys are a nonprofit, I am going to uh, bestow that honor onto you. So uh, I'm going to show the little video and then I'll have you talk about your organization. Thank you. Morning, sunshine. Made you something. Empty. It's empty for now. ecosystems and this is a forest. What are all these other doors? Go find out. What are you waiting for? Hi! There's a good hold up to your left. Is that mom? You want to go next? Don't worry. I'm holding the rope down on this end so mom's not going to fall. It's a basic pulley system where the weight and the distance are directly proportional. Yeah, that sounds really, really cool. But I got a lot more things I want to see. Just a little higher. Got this. Pretty beautiful, huh? Are you looking at constellations? Even cooler. They're called nebulas. You want to see? Awesome. All right. Can you please delve into your organization? Okay. So Homeschool Legal Defense Association is a 501c3 organization that serves the homeschool community in a number of ways. And I'm going to mention three of them tonight. One is, uh, as you can probably tell, we provide legal services. I talked about dealing with school districts. We also help you if you've got problems with getting benefits due to your homeschooling, if you are facing an investigation by Child Protective Services. If you have questions about, we are being deployed to Guam and need to know what the homeschool regulations are there, we can answer those for you. So that's one thing. Second thing is our charitable arm especially at this time of the year, if you're looking to make a charitable donation, HSLDA Compassion provides grants to homeschool families all around the country, whether it's helping them pay for homeschool curriculum or helping them replace homeschool curriculum after a hurricane or a fire has gone through. We give grants to single parents and widows and widowers who are homeschooling. Uh, homeschool Compassion 
we just do a ton of stuff to help homeschool families still be able to keep homeschooling even after crisis has hit. And then the third is a very practical one, and it's one that I've used myself. We actually have a lot of high school courses. We call it the HSLDA Online Academy. They're taught by high-level teachers. You can get AP classes there. Uh, my kids have taken math classes and history classes and writing classes, and there's just a lot there to choose from. And you get a discount on those if you belong to our membership association. So again, if you want to go to our website, hslda.org, and check it out, we'd love to have you join as a member. Thank you so much for that. And I encourage all of you to um, go attend the website and attend the website. Go visit the website and, uh, and and join the organization and learn all that you all that there is to know about homeschooling on the website hslda.org. So Darren, thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome. Okay, I'm going to place you backstage now. And it's just you and me guys. So I'm put up my little banner here. All right. So, huh, you probably could see my finger. So, we have reached the conclusion of our episode. Thank you so much for joining us today. You are watching this on our YouTube channel and on Facebook. And I encourage you, if you already are on our YouTube channel right now, while you're here, check out our channel for more videos and clips. And don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And if you're watching this on Facebook Live right now, give us that like, like our page, and head on over to our YouTube channel as well, and like, share, and subscribe. Also, if you happen to be watching this on our YouTube channel, let us know what you thought of this episode by leaving a comment in the comment section below. You can find A Step Ahead Tutoring Services. We are on a variety of social media platforms like YouTube, like Facebook, and we are also on Eventbrite, Twitter, and WhatsApp. So definitely swing by and give us a follow over there. And if you would like more information about A Step Ahead Tutoring Services, visit us online. Our website is www.astepaheadtutoringservices.com. So once again, thank you so much for joining us. And as a reminder, Thursday, December 16, 2021, or tomorrow, if you're with me now, is our homeschooling one-on-one -on -one panel. There is still time to sign up. Let me just put up that banner real quick. There we go. All right, so the link is scrolling below. There is still time to register. The link below will take you to our Eventbrite page where you can sign up for the workshop. And if you are watching this on the replay, if you go to our YouTube channel, you could find our panel that would have happened on December 16th, you can see the replay of the panel on our YouTube channel. So whether you will be joining us live or joining us on the replay, 
please join us. Thank you for attending this special episode of Hot Topics, and I will see you next time, whenever that is. Thank you for joining us.